Welcome 613 Golfers to another episode of 613 Golfer Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Botter, publisher of Flagstick Golf Magazine. This week's show brought to you by our good friends at TaylorMade Golf and the all-new family of Sim2 Golf Clubs from TaylorMade. Check it all out at taylormadegolf.ca. Well, it seems that we've entered uh, into yet another week of golf shutdowns, or I should say outdoor activity shutdowns. Golf is not the only outdoor activity that is uh, currently uh, shut down and uh, feeling the effects of what's going on. But this is a golf show, and uh, and my listeners, for the most part, and my viewers, are, for the most part, are golfers. So we'll, uh, we'll talk it from the golf angle. Now, obviously, some things happened last week uh, with respect to Doug Ford and, and some statements that was made. That being said, uh, I think it's safe to say that despite the fact that what was said by uh, Mr. Ford in that press conference and, and how it got people sort of in an uproar. It was not the only thing that was said in that press conference. There were a lot of other things that were said regarding golf and outdoor activities with respect specifically to mobility. Now I do not, and I will not focus on uh, Mr. Ford's comments because uh, we all know the comments were um, a little bit uh, uh, generally stated uh, painting you know, most of us with the same brush. And, and I think that he may re have regretted that after he said it, but it is what it is. He can't come back and take it back and say, that's not what I meant because nobody will believe him anyway. So, but what I do want to focus on or what I do want to sort of get across is that at no time during all of this debate, has anybody really come out and said that golf wasn't safe? So, we need to, we really need to stop with that argument because I see a lot of the memes on social media and a lot of things drawing comparisons to different other activities and saying, you know, this is safe, but this isn't. It's not the safety side of it, I think, that we need to be focusing our attention on. It's the mobility side. And I, for one, was very much in favor of following. Uh, the government guidelines following the rules that were put in front of us for those very reasons that if mobility is the issue, then we're supposed to stay at home as much as possible. And that means, you know, even if the activity of playing golf is a safe activity, we shouldn't be doing it only because we shouldn't be leaving our immediate area to go and do something um, and, and increase risk. Now, before everybody starts piling on me about saying how you know we only travel five minutes away, that's true in a lot of cases. And in a lot of cases, that's not true. We do travel fair distances to play golf. If somebody tells us that we're allowed to play golf, we're probably going to try to push the boundaries a little bit and say, well, I'm not just going to go, you know, for in my case, I can play a dozen golf courses within 15 minutes of my house. So yeah, I can stay close to home. Some people don't have that luxury and they are going to have to travel to play golf. Some people don't want to play the golf course that's closest to their house and they're going to travel to play golf because chances are nobody's going to stop them from doing that. We see that with people going across the border into Quebec to play golf from Ontario. They're not being, they're not all being stopped. I know that some people have told me stories of how they have been turned away, but most people that I've talked to that have gone across the border to play golf they're not being stopped when they go across. So, you know, there's, there's always going to be these arguments on both sides, you know, and, and there's no, there's no winning those debates. There's no winning those arguments. So, but the one thing that I think really, really bothers me, and 
is that is that we're supposed to be golf is supposed to be about sportsmanship the game is about sportsmanship it's about ethics and we're supposed to maintain that sportsmanship and that ethics and with with respect towards our playing partners and and you know people within the events that we play in despite how much the game can be frustrating to us we're not supposed to treat others with disrespect on the golf course and i think what i'm seeing and what kind of upsets me is that people are so angry about not being able to play golf that i think for some people, yeah, it's about the exercise. They, they miss the exercise, you know, or they think they need the exercise and that golf is that outlet for exercise. And I agree. Nobody's arguing that golf is a safe, uh, physically active uh, activity to do that's good for you. That's, 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 that's a given. How can anybody argue that it isn't? What bothers me is these personal attacks um it, it's it's like i don't even i, I can't even sometimes I, I get kind of so ticked off about it that it, it we're better than that people okay I, I even if we did even if we think that doug ford you know is whatever we want to call him whatever names we want to call him um you know we're we're so upset and so angry that you know it's just this frustration is boiling over and we just can't take it anymore i get that but we need to be better than that we need to make sure that the arguments that we're making are valid arguments. The statements that we're making on social media, these statements, are it, I, it's a small sampling. You know, we look on our social media and we see all these golfers saying this and saying that, and, and it's a small sampling. It, it, there, are, there are hundreds of thousands of people that play this game, and they're not all on social media bashing the government and bashing Doug Ford and bashing the doctors and like, come on, people, really? I, I get the anger level. I really, really do. And, but I think we can do it more respectfully than that. I think we can make our, make our statements, post our, our, you know, pictures of somebody walking down the fairway and, and, you know, and then, and then a group of people, uh, in Toronto hanging out in a park and, and, and draw the coalition between the two of those things saying, okay, wait a second. It isn't about exercise. It isn't about uh, the activity of golf. It isn't just about the safety of being able to play socially distant with or without a mask, different households, whatever the case may be. What I'm starting to see is that it's the other activities that are taking place that require people to go somewhere to do something, whether it's the active TO uh, videos and stuff that, that more recently have been seen, whether it's the Tulip Festival uh, in Ottawa, where you see hundreds of people wandering around the parks downtown looking at the tulips and stuff. And, and yeah, it may seem innocent. It may seem like, you know, they're just getting out and being active. They're just getting out and walking. Yeah, but they had to get there. And it's the same argument, I think, that people are seeing. It's that same argument that, well, we're trying to limit mobility driving to a golf course to play golf so that we're not stopping at the gas station, stopping at the corner store, stopping and picking, you know, we're, we're not doing all this, this travel within the travel. So more or less like travel to, to a golf course and all the things that kind of go along with that. Um, I think... That's the argument that they're making is it's a mobility issue. But if it's a mobility issue for golf, 
then it also is a mobility issue for taking your kids to the playground. And it's also a mobility issue for going and driving down to the Tulip Festival. It's also a mobility issue driving to the conservation area to go for a walk. And it's a mobility issue to, to group. I mean, the stuff for active TO has been kind of over the top. The number of people wandering around without a mask on in massive groups to, to be active. I think that's when now we're crossing a line for me personally. And this is, again, this is me personally, but we're crossing a line for me personally, where I have, I have, I have argued that to this point, um, the arguments of whether we should be playing golf or not are, are important for people to get that, that uh, message out there. They feel they need to say that I understand that and social media is a platform and we want to use that platform to, to express our opinion. Um, and I've been kind of on the other, you know, on both sides of saying, yes, safety, all this kind of stuff, but yes, we have a mandate. We have an order from the government and we're not in a dictatorship people. This isn't, this isn't communism that, that people spread on, on social media as well. That's not what, what this is. This is, this is decisions being made that may be the wrong decisions and that likely in some cases are the wrong decisions. And that's what this is. And, and not being able to necessarily go back on them and trying to say, you know, there is some political posturing, I'm sure. I mean, it, 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 that's the world we live in. Politics are part of it. I don't think that Doug Ford walks into a room and says, I don't care what you say, you say, you say, or you say, nobody's going to do any outdoor activity. I think that there's a method to the madness. It just might be that the method is, is not consistent enough across the board for people to look at it and go, yeah, I get it. That's what, that makes sense. You can't do that, but you can do that. If you're going to have a stay at home order, you stay at home, you go to the grocery store, don't put memes up about people lined up at Loblaws or Costco because it's groceries. We all have to get our groceries. We have to get foods. Not everybody has the ability to do curbside pickup. So, um, you know, we have to do it other ways. So don't use that as an argument. But yes, the stuff that you're seeing now that, you know, these massive groups of people gathering and, you know, whether it's active TO or not, or whether it's the Tulip Festival or whether it's going for a walk at the conservation area and there being, you know, 50, 60 cars in the parking lot there. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not just golf that that happens. So you can't, that's the argument is if, if you're not going to allow people to go to the golf course to golf a safe activity and your reason for not letting them go is because you're afraid of them congregating or doing too many things between there and the golf course, then you have to stop all the other stuff too. So I think that's really what the argument is. And then maybe that should be the focus of it. I saw something uh, uh, come across my desk from Clublink. And at the end of the letter, I think Clublink had sent to their, to their members, at the end of the letter that they sent to their members about, you know, what they were planning on doing and, and ramping up their, their messaging, they mentioned in that letter that, that, that they, were, they were going to be doing this in a respectful and professional fashion and, they, and, and that people should send letters to their MPP and emails their MPP, you know, with respect to the 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 uh, bill that's being presented in in the par in provincial parliament, and but they said to be respectful, and I think that's all I'm asking. I think that's all I'm saying is that is that I get the frustration. Believe me, um, every day I'm living this, 
day after day after day, I'm living it. I'm not just the social media stuff, the emails, the conversations I have with golf course operators and managers, um, the conversations I have with people in the political ring about, about this behind the scenes. I say behind the scenes, not in the public forum. Um, not that that's wrong to, to argue your point in the public forum. It's, it's fine, but just do it respectfully. You know, treat people with respect. You know, Doug Ford is not a, you don't call him names. Uh, you know, you know, hurtful. It's not, you're attacking him personally. He's not attacking you personally. He's not calling you something. He's not saying that you're something. Um, and I'm not, I'm using a lot of generalities here because I don't want to use the words that people have been saying in social media to describe him. But, you know, things like calling him a communist. He's not, okay? His members of his party are not. The doctors surrounding him are not. You're just throwing stuff out there that's hurtful, disrespectful, and that's not who we need to be as a society. What are we teaching our kids? That it's okay when you don't agree with something to lash out at the person that you don't agree with and, and, and be hurtful and disrespectful and attack them personally? Come on. You know, we have to, you have to admit that we are better than that. Focus on the argument that needs to be made. And in this case now, the argument is not about safety. The argument is about mobility. So let's find find the common ground that attacks the mobility angle and let's respectfully you know make sure that that uh, the government is aware that hey look at there's a lot of, of other stuff going on outside of getting my groceries and my essential things that I need to get and going to work there's a lot of other stuff going on that people are jumping in their cars and driving to do and doing in in large numbers that are that are equally as safe to do as golf, but we can do those and not this. So I get that. And I think that's the angle that we need to take. So yeah, some of you won't agree with me, um, but do me a favor. If you don't agree with me and you wanna send me an email, that's fine. If you wanna reach out to me, uh, DMing me on social media, that's fine. But you wanna have a conversation with me about it uh, in a professional and respectful manner, I'm happy happy to have a conversation because most likely I'm not going to disagree with you, but I might not agree with you either. hundred percent. I'm entitled to my opinion as much as you're entitled to yours. So I'm with you golfers. I want golf back. I think it's a safe thing to do. I think the mobility issue thing we can handle um, if we handle it correctly and we police it correctly at the golf courses. Um, you know, we manage those parking lots and get people off the golf course and out of the parking lots as quickly as possible. I think, I think we can handle all those other arguments about mobility too. I think we can work with this, but let's not, let's not be a-holes. <laughs> let's be respectful. Let's be golfers and let's get this done properly. Okay. So that's all we're going to talk about on that. We had a, a really good show this, uh, this week. Um, we are going to uh, take a quick break because we need to. And when we come back, we are going to find out how my guest uh, this week took his career full circle. That when we come back, stay with us. To make sure the TP5 is the best ball for every shot in golf, we had some friends put it to the test. Hydra. Check. 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 One hop and stop. Out of the short grass? Out of no grass. Check. Low spinner. Knock down wedge. Driver off the deck. No matter the shot, there's one ball that's better for all. Check. Introducing the newly redesigned TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X. Check. The most complete ball in golf just got even better. Only from TaylorMade. 
Uh, we're back. Uh, my guest today has uh, has taken a very different road to where he's gotten right now. Um, sometimes there's a lot of different paths that we can take. Uh, sometimes we think this is the way we're going to take our career. We want to do this and we have to take step one, step two, step three, step four, and so on. And we do that. Sometimes we take step one and step two, and then step three just kind of goes out the window and we end up, you know, going off in this direction by about, you know, a mile. But sometimes we circle back. Uh, sometimes we don't. Sometimes a new path that we follow is better than the one we thought we wanted to take. And, you know, and there we there we end up. I mean, I myself, uh, when I started out uh, of high school, knew exactly what program I wanted to take in college, uh, you know, getting into advertising and public relations. I wanted to work in an ad agency. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to, to write radio commercials. I wanted to write TV commercials. I wanted to work with big companies. And, uh, and I wanted to, you know, design uh, print ads and, and so on. So that's what I wanted to do. And I, and I was good at it and I, and I enjoyed it. Um, so that's what I went to college for. And I came out of college and next thing you know, I'm selling advertising for a community newspaper. I got to build some print ads, but I was more into sales. And, you know, as luck would have it for me here, here I am uh, doing this, uh, obviously, which is far from working in an ad agency, but other uh, branches of my company are, you know, design and consulting, um, particularly within the golf industry. So I've designed logos for hundreds of golf courses. I design ads all the time, uh, banner ads, I build websites, whatever the case may be. And no, this isn't a big sales pitch to, to hire me to do something. It's kind of my point is I wanted to go a certain direction. I did everything I could to go that direction. And then I just spun off and went another next thing you know, I'm in the golf industry. But the full circle side of that for me is that I circled everything back and used that golf industry uh, to launch um, a magazine. And then from that, uh, a design and consulting business and so on and so on and so on. So sometimes we can get where we want to get or get where we intended to get in a lot of different directions. And that is the case uh, uh, with my first guest uh, or my guest uh, this week. Um, please welcome to the show. Uh, the general manager of the Prescott Golf Club, Steve Martin. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, Steve. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of. I'm glad that we're talking. I mean, you and I, after um, there was a, a point um, over, uh, you know, the last number of years where where you left the business and now you're back into it. But uh, we've stayed in touch. Uh, we've we've talked, uh, and I know you've talked to Scott a lot, uh, even when you were not uh, in the golf industry. Um, I didn't think that, uh, you know, years later, we'd be sitting here having a conversation with you back in the golf industry. So I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, that we were able to, to get together and, and, and have a chat. And uh, the podcasts that we've been doing, a lot of the guests that we're bringing on, it's, we've been talking about, uh, about the path and the journey. Um, and everybody's story is unique and, and it's different in how they got into the business and how they work through the business and, to where they are today, and and your story is um, your story is a very unique story as well, and how you um, how you went from one point in the business to another point, and then back into the business. So let's let's just start things off by talking about let's get to know Steve Martineau a little bit more, and let's talk about how you got your start in the golf business. You know, why did you get started in the business, and where it all began? Sure. Well, I grew up in Prescott, and my father was a member of the golf club, and actually is uh, one of the owners. Uh, was one of the owners of the original uh, nine-hole property. 
he had shares on it. And uh, he introduced me to the game when I was probably eight or nine years old. And I actually have memories of coming home saying to my mom, I hit the ball in the air. I hit the ball in the air. And it was like, that's what hooked me. You know, actually seeing the ball carry. And from that point on, my parents would get me to the golf course in the morning when summer came and I'd get home that night. And I literally lived at the golf course, you know, and just fell in love with the place, you know, both the game and Prescott Golf Club. You know, I felt like I was a part of family, you know, it felt like home. And um, when Tom Miller got hired in 1985, I uh, got a job in the back shop and I worked in the back shop for four years with Tom before I went down to uh, college in North Carolina um, at Methodist University. And that didn't work out too well. I was homesick, wasn't big on practice. You know, I, we didn't have a range here till 88. Um, so I wasn't a big practice guy. So you get down there and the heat and the humidity in August is outrageous. Never experienced anything like it. Got homesick, uh, came home, came back to work for Tama and started as a member of the CPGA in 89. And uh, from then I uh, worked a bunch of different clubs around Ottawa and uh, then went to Iroquois in 99. Um, I'd become the head pro at Greyhawk in 98 for one year working with Club Link. Okay. And then got the job as GM and uh, head pro at Iroquois in '99. Cool. So when you um, you went to North Carolina, was that uh, was that on a, uh, a golf scholarship? To it was on a partial golf scholarship. Yeah, I had won the Ottawa City and District Junior in '88, and then finished fourth in the province. Strangely enough, the Quebec Provincials that year were held in Renfrew, Ontario. Which <laughs> I always found weird. Um, but I had to be down to school in August. So I didn't get to go to the Canadians that year, but I, I basically, there wasn't the recruiting that there is now. You kind of had to sell yourself. So I had put together a tape, old VHS tape, you know, and some of my uh, junior uh, achievements. And they were one of the few schools at the time that had the pro golf management program, them and Fair State and uh, the school in Conway, um, which is now Coastal Carolina. Um, so I, I checked, gone for a visit to Myrtle Beach and also to Fayetteville, the Methodist College, uh, college at the time now was Methodist University. And they had a very strong golf program. They won the national championship the year before I got there. And uh, John McCullough was the individual champion the year before I got there. So it was a really good program. And again, I knew I wanted to be a golf pro, not a pro golfer, you know, but a golf pro and work in the business. So that's the path I took. But like I said, after a year, I was homesick and uh, came home and uh, got into the CPJ. That does happen. That, that happens with a lot of guys that, that go down there. They end up, uh, you know, realizing they don't, you know, it's not for them or they they get homesick. I mean, especially if you've never really been away from home at all for any length of time that, uh, that, you know, it's more comfortable. Um, so it's um, so you ended up at the Iroquois golf course as the uh, as the GM and, and head professional. Now, when you yeah. started at Iroquois, the clubhouse was on the opposite side of the uh, the little stream there, the inlet. Uh, yes. And uh, and if I recall, the first tee, the first tee, the back tee was in that back back corner there. Yeah, for, and the tent, to... for the uh, tent pole is there across a little inlet or way down at the south end of the property. It was about a 220 yard carry across the fairway. I do was, recall that. A, an amazing tee, an amazing hole. You know, unfortunately, the building was 120 years old at the time. 
the club wasn't in a financial position to fully renovate and do what they needed to. And they got an offer, the town, uh, the course was owned by the uh, township of South Dundas, and they got an offer on the land and they would start paying the property taxes. So the decision was made to move uh, the clubhouse onto the main part of the property. So, so you uh, you had the opportunity, obviously, to to be a part of of the new construct, new clubhouse construction, and and I know um, when you were there, we had a, a, a number of talks about you know the things that you were you were going through with the trying to get the right layout for it and position for it, and at one point the clubhouse was actually even talked about being on the far end of the property. Um, I, I'm not sure the holes, but it was is over on the on the way way far away from where it is now on the other side of the uh, the golf course property. Was it not? Yeah, there were three different areas considered. One was right down by the beach, which would be just west of the fourth hole, which is a nice part three along the water. Um, the idea of being there, you'd be back down by the waterfront. You know, there was already a road going down there, um, but there was a lot of concern from the public about the excess traffic and the kids going down to the beach. So um, the other location was looked at was up by the school, uh, a little bit higher land. We figured that might be good for drainage, but also putting it close to the edge of town would encourage people to come over for lunches. You know, when we're out on that point, we were kind of forgotten about for, for restaurants and bar, you know, it was a great location, but when you're so far out there, it's hard to be, uh, you know, in people's minds when they're looking for a quick place to eat. So after a lot of thought, it went back and forth and uh, they voted to go to where the highest point on the property actually is, which is out on the driving range. So they kind of adjusted the T-deck for the driving range and dropped the clubhouse there in the middle of the property, just to the uh, right of number one. Now, what were some of the things, Steve, you know, going through that process um, as the general manager and as the, as the head professional, what were some of the things that you'd go through through that process of getting a new construction going and, you know, that kind of thing? Well, you know, first off, you had your clubhouse design, you know, and I had my board that was heavily involved in it. And there were a lot of things that they ended up deciding on that I wasn't in favor of, um, you know, and I think if they could go back and do it again, there might have been some changes made. Um, we had to reroute some holes, you know, basically we dropped our parking lot where the, right across the ninth fairway. So, um, you know, we had that, we, our ninth green became our putting green because again, we lose our putting green from the old clubhouse. So we had to build a new putting green and then, uh, redesign our ninth hole to work it around the driving range to fit in the building, you know, figuring out how you're going to deal with your carts. Uh, also the drive in to the clubhouse from the road, you know, that was where the maintenance building is. So it went from being a very lately used road of four or five cars a day to being your main way to get out onto the property. So there was a lot of work to be done that way. And the township helped us in terms of road building and, you know, doing the, a lot of the work that would have, you'd had to pay private uh, companies to come and do that would have been quite extensive. Now, um, before we move on from the Iroquois Golf Club, <laughs> there was a <laughs> see you're laughing already because oh, you knew this was coming so there was a point i still have nightmares about this. oh my god well i don't have nightmares about it believe me i mean i i, I mean i feel <laughs> i feel for the individual involved but but it was there's still a humorous side to that so we were out playing out scott mcleod and i came down to visit with you and we went out the three of us went out to play a round of golf um i don't think scott had ever played the golf course and I had, but, but, uh, you were showing us the ropes 
And, uh, and there was a situation that occurred where we'd all, we were hitting our tee shots and you hit a tee shot and I'm not sure which hole exactly it was. I can fill you in. But I, I was going to say, I want, I want you like, I'm not going to tell this story. I'm going to let you tell this story. So Steve, take it away. Now there's no doubt, Jeff, that I hit a bad golf shot. I'm not going <laughs> to walk away from that. But the 15th hole at Iroquois uh, heads back to the river. It's a par five reachable. And the wind, as you know, at Iroquois blows usually about 40 to 50 kilometers an hour from the West. <laughs> yes, it does. And uh, I hit a nice <clears throat> drive down the middle and, uh, a friend of ours, I'm sure you remember Jeff Ferguson, um, now in Kingston at Cataraqua. Yeah. His father, uh, Ross, and friend Elton Cassidy were coming off the 15th green. And, you know, I, I thought I might be able to hit the green, so I'll wait for them to finish. Well, unfortunately, to get to the 16th tee, you got to walk kind of back towards the 15th fairway. And uh, I thought I'd go for it, so I got out my three wood. And I started it right at the green. I swear to God, I started it right at the green. And it started turning over, as you can remember. And <laughs> you could just see the path they were on and the path the ball was going on. And I yelled four, and Ross is like probably six foot three. He's taller than his buddy Elton. He looks up and sees the ball coming, and he dropped. <laughs> and Elton took the ball in the back of the neck, dropped him like he'd been shot, like literally like an animal. Shot no I thought I'd killed him. Like, I literally thought he was dead. He had a welt on his neck. You could see the dimples from the golf ball. And it literally took me about two months before I could get a three wood in the air. I literally would flinch at impact. It, to this day, like, I, if I, I'm kind of fortunate we're not golfing this week, Jeff, because I don't know if I could hit a three wood. <laughs> I went out today to try and hit one after thinking about that story. Oh, but my gosh. I'll never forget it. I mean, the, the, the good thing is, Steve, that we're able to laugh about it now and actually tell it as a story because, you know, he was hurt. Oh, yeah. But it was nothing. It was nothing that uh, that um, a little redemption in the clubhouse afterwards. <laughs> I think it was two Molson Two Molson X is what he asked for to, to be forgiven. So that was an easy one. It's a it's a good thing that you have uh, that you have, uh, you know, members at the golf course that, that were uh, so uh, easygoing and accommodating, Steve. Absolutely. And again, that I've played golf now for uh, 42 years, and I think it's the only person I've hit with a golf ball. Thank God. Oh, my gosh. I would yes. never want to go through that again. Like where I hit him and the way he went down, I thought he was dead. No, oh, and I swear, I, I swear to God that 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 everything was in slow motion because <laughs> I, I, we were all you hit it. And we're, we're the three of us are watching the shot. And it's just like it is it, it it's like it ne it took forever to get there. Yeah. And the four was coming out of your mouth, like, like you yelled four, but it, it was more like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything was moving in slow motion. It wasn't slow motion once the ball hit him. No. <laughs> you, you dropped like, like a sack of bricks. Show. It was almost like it was a tape TV show and you could like put it in slow motion. And yeah. The ball started turning and it was like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, it was... Uh, Definitely one of the more memorable things that happened to Derek. Well, it's, you know, hey, look at, I mean, we know that that's not the reason <laughs> that you left the golf. Oh, no, not at all. No, not it's, at a, all. it's an odd transition that we have now because, you know, the reality is that uh, the Iroquois Golf Club was, you left Iroquois in, uh, I want to say 2006, right? Yeah. So you left Iroquois in 2006, shortly after the incident. <laughs> 
Not I'm that just kidding. Short, like a couple of years out. So you left you left the Iroquois and uh, and you you got out of the business completely. And you actually went so far as to get your amateur status back, right? So yeah. tell me about that. You you know why did you leave the business? You know what prompted that? And and uh, and you know getting your amateur status back too. There was a lot that went into that uh, decision, Jeff. First off, I got let go at the end of my contract. It wasn't I was fired or anything. It was just a decision that the board made at the end of my contract. They didn't feel like it financially afford me. And so we parted ways. So, you know, for the better part of, they told me early September that I wouldn't be coming back. So for two and a half months, you know, I searched and I, I had pretty well decided I didn't want to leave the Iroquois area. You know, we've lived there since 1999. I'm still there today. Just love the community, love the people. It's a safe, small town, you know, very similar to Prescott. And I didn't want to go and uproot the family. In 06, I would have had a uh, 10-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter, and they were in school. My wife had a good job. I just I thought, I'm going to try and find something nearby. So I kind of left Cornwall the Kempel, the Brockville. And as you know, there just aren't a lot of jobs in the golf business. Um, so I saw an ad for uh, that Procter & Gamble was hiring. I knew they were a good company. So I threw my name in, knowing nothing about manufacturing, nothing about production, and went in and interviewed. And by January of 07, I'd been hired. And, uh, you know, I made the decision that financially I was getting more money to start there than I was making at Iroquois. I would be on 12 hour shifts. So I had lots of time to golf in the summer, had vacation in the summer, which was unheard of, you know, and benefits. Which <laughs> what the heck's vacation, Steve? Yeah. So I'd kind of, I'd kind of hit the jackpot in terms of like what you're looking for, you know, in a job. And uh, so I went to work there and I realized at that point, after a couple of years that I just, I really enjoy the competitive golf, but I didn't see myself going back into the industry and paying the CPGA fees just to stay active in a couple of CPGA events each year. So I uh, requested my amateur status back. I think I had to wait two years for it. And I think I got it back and I guess it would have been 09, you know, right around that time. And I just, I love competition, you know? Um, and that that's kind of what led me to do that, you know? Uh, but after 13 years of doing that, uh, Procter & Gamble um, shifted operations from Brockville down to West Virginia. You know, we had the opportunity if we wanted to, to go down with them or to Belleville. But I'd had enough of the 12 hour night shifts and day shifts and the flipping back and forth, the effect on the sleep, the effect on anxiety and depression that it had on me. Um, and I just realized it wasn't for me. Um, so, and again, I didn't want to uproot the family. You know, I, I love Europe. I love Eastern Ontario and I didn't want to go to West Virginia. I didn't want to go to Belleville. So, um, I was fortunate enough to get a package, a severance package out of there last May. And I finished work there, I think May 13th. And I came to bill here at the golf shop, said I'm available for the summer. Do you haven't opened yet? If you need any help, you know, just to keep myself busy and out of my wife's hair. And uh, so I worked three days a week in the shop last year and just golf and uh, had the best summer of my life. <laughs> no work and golf and it was fun. So now we're here. Um, you're, you know, I mean, we talk about some things in life go full circle and you got your start 
in the golf business as a backshop guy at Prescott working under, uh, working with Tom Miller and you went into the PGA of Canada. You, you did, you know, you did everything you needed to do. You, you became a head pro, became a GM, ran the gamut, got out of the business, get your amateur status back. And 2021, you're back at the Prescott golf course as a GM, not as a head pro. Um, how did that come about? I mean, obviously, yeah, you worked there last summer, you know, you know, doing what, what, uh, you know, working in the shop and stuff, but how did you decide, you know, I'm going to come back into the golf business, but, uh, and I'm going to, you know, how did the whole thing with Prescott and the GM role, how did that all come about? Well, the GM role had opened up in 2019 and I had applied for it and I ended up finishing second in that, uh, search, you know, and that I was both, I was upset at the time, you know, I'm like, I know I'm the right person for this job. I think, you know, they should have chosen me. But when I look back on it, had I taken the job at that point, I wouldn't have got a severance package out of Procter & Gamble. I would have been walking away with nothing, you know. And uh, again, I was on a severance package last May, you know, and, and worked here and got to know, like I've known a lot of the members here for a long time, but there's a lot of new members that I had. So I got to um, introduce myself to them and they got to know me. And then um, at the end of this past year, I was notified that the GM's job was open again and they wanted to make sure I was going to apply. So I went through the process. Again, it was trying to find full-time work. You know, I didn't necessarily want to go back into manufacturing if I didn't have to or into 12-hour shifts. Now, uh, so the opportunity presented itself and I applied and went through the process and uh, was fortunate enough to get hired there in the first week of January. So it's... Uh, it's a dream come true. It's the job that I've wanted all my life, you know, and uh, I just, I feel like I have a lot to offer the club, you know, um, I bleed PGC. When I wasn't here working, I was, I'd still come and play here. You know, my father up until 2012 when he died um, was a member here forever. You know, his name is on the uh, entrance stone. You know, we did in his honor. You know, it's like a part of me is here, always will be here and the opportunity to come home and work here and lead the, the club one I couldn't turn down. And, you know, I'm just very happy to be here. No, oh, it's, it's, it's such an awesome story. And that's the thing, like I, like I said, right off the top there about, you know, finding the stories um, there's a uniqueness to, to individuals in the golf industry throughout uh, this region. And, you know, your story of, you know, going from where, you know, starting at Prescott and, and just going through everything that you went through and the roller coaster of, of things that you went through uh, to get to where we are here in 2021. And for you to be the, you know, the GM at, at the Prescott Golf Club where it all began for you is just, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that this happened for you. Um, so what's the plan, Steve? Like what's uh, this is, this is a, <laughs> You know, oddly enough, this is an odd and interesting year for you to start your oh, your uh, your career so. as the general manager of Prescott Golf Club. But despite the fact that uh, even though Prescott is usually one of the first to open and and was uh, as always, and then shutdowns happen, but um, you know, what's the plan at Prescott this year? What have you guys been up to? Uh, during the downtime uh, that is going to excite people about uh, about Prescott uh, in the coming, the golf season to come, I guess. Well, 
um, this year we've got a new superintendent, Warren Greenwell, who comes to us with experience at Pineview and recently at Camelot. And um, he's he's a really good superintendent, young, energetic, passionate, committed, you know, everything you look for in a superintendent. And uh, we have a good team of returning staff for him. And in the downtime, they've been able to get all the greens aerated, all the fairways done, all the fertilizing done, everything punched, you know, they've worked on cart pass, bunkers. You know, we do have limited staff right now. We're basically about half the staff of normal. But in addition to keeping everything cut, they have got those things out of the way that, you know, could be a nuisance, you know, if you were playing and you only had nine holes open because you were aerating the other nine, you know, so that's all done for the spring. Um, we're in the process right now of installing a uh, 10 station hitting deck on the back of our driving range tee. We have a very small tee deck here and, uh, you know, it's never been a strength of ours um, for a couple of reasons. We have a driving range that's limited, you know, only about 190 yards to the end of the range. So we don't allow drivers. So every person that takes a shot is usually taking a dip, right? So it, it increases the wear and tear on the on the uh, tee deck and we don't have a big tee deck. And after a couple of weeks of our range being open, Warren said, Steve, I can't grow grass on the highway. Like it's just too busy, too much activity. And uh, the board and I put together a plan. And so we've got this turf hound driving range, uh, 10 deck station going in. That'll be in and operational by July 1st. Um, so that's gonna be a big improvement, you know, always have good, uh, good conditions to hit off of. Um, we're also been working on our um, outer patio. We had a small upper patio just outside of our restaurant. And with COVID, obviously, and people not being comfortable or not being allowed to come inside, we kind of had limited seating on our upper patio. So we've been in the process and we'll have it open once uh, Premier Ford allows us to have outdoor dining. Um, we have a thousand square foot lower patio now, and we bought uh, some little bistro tables, nice umbrellas, and uh, we put a nice brand spanking new two-inch oak bar top on one of our railings, some bar stools to kind of create nice atmosphere to hang out and watch the golf coming in on 18. So uh, we've been working on that. We're still waiting on, we're getting nine carts coming in. Again, as you, I imagine, would uh, be aware, the golf club companies are trying or having trouble getting parts and getting everything together. So the carts we were supposed to get in March and now promised for sometime in June, you know, so that, and uh, we've just, we've just been trying to stay busy. You know, myself, I last couple of days, I've been out trimming up trees around the clubhouse because I want to look good when the people come back, you know, we had just, just staying busy, you know, and uh, I've got a lot of people, members, green fears, anxious, I was in on uh, Friday morning uh, in the shot in the office and at nine o'clock, somebody on some newscast said that they heard that golf was gonna open. And within 15 minutes, I had 10 phone calls wanting to know if people could book tea times. And, you know, so we know the demand is there. We just need the opportunity now, but when it happens, we'll be ready. Oh, that's good. And I think that that's the, if there is such thing as a positive, I think that that's the one positive thing for the golf courses, knowing that knowing what's going to happen or what's going to transpire once that, once you get the green light, you know, how busy it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and 
when it gets that busy, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about do wanting to do on the, on the golf course and even around the golf course becomes not even just a cumbersome activity because of the fact that you're trying to do it while there's, while there's golfers on the golf course and around the golf, the golf course, it's just the, it's, it's the delegating the staff to be able to do that. When once you open, there's no way that the staff can be working on building a patio. No, you know, it's, it's, it can't happen. So taking advantage of, okay, people can't golf, we can't be open, but that doesn't mean that we have to be standing still. Um, you know, let's be proactive and let's, let's get our aerating done. Let's get, you know, get these trim, these trees trimmed down. Let's, let's build a patio so that since we chances are, we're not going to be allowed inside the clubhouse that we'll build a bigger area for them to be outside so they can feel safe and that we can feel comfortable having them on the property after they're done playing the round of golf, um, you know, updating the carts, whatever the case may be, um, you know, a golf course, you know, repave the parking lot. I noticed a bunch of golf courses doing bunker work. Uh, Bunker work is something that's very difficult to do when you've got a full, and literally to put this in perspective, golf courses two years ago, um, were not full, I guess I'll put the, put the air quotes, full. There were lots of tee times available most of the times. I know numerous conversations talking to golf course operators about, um, you know, what do, we, what do we do to get people to golf after a certain time? You know, we can, that's not an issue now. No. Uh, the tee times, if you're not booking a tee time five to seven days in advance or as soon as you're allowed to, you know, book, trying to book one 24 hours in advance, you're trying, you're getting a cancellation. Um, so sure. doing the stuff on golf course, once you're reopened is going to be next to impossible. Maintenance is about the only thing you're going to be able to do. So it's what you're talking about doing. That's exactly what, you know, you expect to see golf courses do. And you guys are doing that. Yeah. yeah so one of, it's funny, one of my staff, uh, maintenance staff, I was out talking to him. He was finishing up on 18 the other day, cutting and Set out the day go. He goes phenomenal. He goes, I got like all tees and collars done in like five hours. He goes, normally that's like a 12 hour job. He goes, it's awesome. I said, yeah, but we want it to be a 12 hour job. I'm really happy. The sad part, it. I want it to fun. take you 12 hours to do. I don't want it to take you five. That's great. I'm glad that yeah. it took you five hours, but we need that to take you 12. Exactly. So no, I, I, they understand obviously like without the golfers, people don't have jobs. So exactly. You know. I mean, we're, we're going to, we're going to get there We're we're going to get there. It's, you know, whether it's June 2nd or if, you know, fingers crossed and, and the right decisions are made coming up um, and, uh, and we can respectfully get our, our point across to the right people and something happens prior to June 2nd, then, then awesome. If not, well, then let's just, let's just be ready uh, on June 3rd, if that's the case, when we're allowed to, to get out on the golf course and, and let's be ready to go. Uh, yeah, exactly. Our golf course is in mint condition right now. Like it's just for this time of year, it, it's so lush, so green, greens have healed perfectly. You know, we're, we're just itching to go. So. Awesome. Well, listen, Steve, um, I am like super, super happy that we were able to, to have a chat. And uh, I hope that uh, those listening and those watching on YouTube, um, you know, really got to uh, uh, get to know you or got to know you a little bit better and, and know your story because it is it is an interesting story. It is a unique story and it is a, it is a feel good story to see 
you get back to your roots uh, at a spot where you're happy and uh, and excited to be. And and Prescott, uh, the golf club at Prescott is uh, be extremely happy to have you there. I know you're doing an awesome job. Well, thank you, Jeff. I, uh, I I think it's important. You know, the one thing I'd say to people is that, and not like a life lesson for people, but you know, I was working at Procter Gamble, making more money with the pension, the benefits, and that. There is nothing replacing loving your job and loving getting up and going to work. You know, I dreaded every single day over the last couple of years of having to get up and go in for shift work. And now, you know, my day starts at eight o'clock here. I'm often here by five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. I just get up and I want to get to work. I just love the business. I love that people are happy when they're here. I love being able to make people happy and, you know, make their experience a positive one. So I'm really, really glad to have the opportunity. Awesome. Well, I'm, 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 I'm really glad, Steve, that we had this chance to chat and uh, welcome back to the golf business, buddy. It's good to have you. Thank you, John. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. I'll tell you this. One of the great things about doing this podcast that uh, one of the things I've enjoyed a lot about doing these podcasts is learning more uh, about the people in the industry uh, that, you know, we see every day. I mean, lots of people play the Prescott golf club and, um, and they might not see Steve when he's there at being the GM. He could be in the office. He could be out on the course somewhere. He, you know, could be doing just about anything. But, you know, when you do go through and you see him, that you might, you might remember seeing this podcast or listening to this podcast and you learned a little bit more about this individual's journey um, to getting where he is. And in, in Steve's case, you know, just taking the whole thing full circle. I mean, it's where he, where it all began for him working in the back shop. And there's so, there are a lot of stories like that where someone gets their start in the back shop and they work their way up and end up, you know, becoming the head pro or whatever of that club. But the, the path that Steve took were, you know, being in the business, going through all that, getting that head pro job, you know, down the road at Iroquois, being the GM and then boom, leaves the industry completely and and as we heard for for certain reasons and then you know does that for 13 years 13 years i think um and then comes back into the golf business and and again he explained the reasons why he came back in but to come back in and to be able to to end up back where it all began and uh and to just have that sense of family that that sense of feeling like you're home as he said, and, uh, you know, great, great story. And uh, just a super awesome, nice guy. Like you're not going to meet much nicer people than, than Steve in the golf business. So when you're at Prescott and you get a chance to say hi to Steve, um, I know he'll appreciate it. And, um, you know, congratulations again, Steve. Great job, buddy. All right. Uh, well, here we go. Moving through yet another episode. And, um, as always, at this point during uh, during the 613 Golfer podcast, we uh, we like to help you out with your golf game a little bit. Um, and we're going to spin it up a little bit. We're going to mix it up a little bit this uh, this week. And we're not going to go to the Lesson T and talk to Kevin Hain, but we are going to the Lesson T and we are going to the Kevin Hain Golf Center, but we are going to talk to Jake Hain. And Jake's got a little tip for us. J- Jake is uh, Kevin's son. And uh, he is uh, quite the teacher in his own right now. And uh, we're going to head out to the lesson tee and see what Jake's got for us. Hey, golfers. Jake came here to help you with your wedge game. One thing that happens a lot when we're on our practice tee is we see people hitting full-length golf shots and neglecting those shorter swings that help them actually score, whether they're trying to save shots around the green or get close to the pin on those par fives that they got close to in two. 
A great way to practice scoring with your wedges is setting up a ladder drill where you're hitting golf balls. Having targets 25, 35, 45, 55 yards away from you, and then taking multiple shots consecutively to each target in an attempt to really dial in how long a swing you need to hit that distance. Just getting in front of a golf ball, having a target in your hitting area, and making repeatable length swings to consistent targets will really give you a sense of body control, a sense of how far you hit the golf ball, and make it a lot easier to save pars and make birdies on the golf course. Try it next time you're practicing. Well, there you go. Kind of the kind of tip that uh, that you can probably work at, you know, with golf being shut down right now, and um, you know, probably the kind of thing that maybe you have enough room in your backyard. You can hit, uh, you know, 25, 30, 45 yard, 50 yard shots. Uh, if not, maybe in a field somewhere where, you know, you have access or, you know, it's it's an easy thing to practice when you're at a, at a driving range like Kevin's Place or any driving range for that matter. It's an easy thing to practice when you're out on the course, uh, you know, once you're out on the course and, you know, I used to do that late evening kind of thing. Uh, when I was a kid um, growing up down in Kingston, uh, I, I wasn't really a kid when I was in Kingston. I was a teenager, but kid nonetheless. And I used to um, drop a bunch of balls and uh, and hit shots. I used to hit different irons from different distances. So I'd try and hit a bunch of seven irons from 100 yards and seven irons from 120 and seven irons from 130 and so on. I mean, there's lots of things, but it's a, a great tip uh, from Jake and something that you can work on. So Thanks, Jake, and I uh, hope you learned something from that. Well, as always, we have our uh, very becoming very popular uh, favorite hole in the 613 contest, and uh, where obviously we have uh, listeners and viewers on YouTube alike from around the 613 or who have played in the 613 send in their submissions for their favorite hole uh, in this region. And um, this week, uh, Nancy Wright from Orleans sent in her submission and uh didn't have the picture uh herself of this one but uh i have the picture um mainly because i took the picture and uh it's of the 18th hole at nation golf club in uh, plantage net uh, which is uh um, east of orleans and i'm sure lots of people have played uh, um, uh golf out at uh, nation golf club it uh, used to be a um, uh, tree firm and what a great finishing hole different i mean not a lot of golf courses finish on a par three uh but uh, nation does and that that hole is downhill like major major drop down to the down to the green and there's a creek that runs uh, right across in front of it difficult little finishing hole various yardages there to play it from but um great selection nancy thanks very much for for sending in that choice and once again we had a lot of selections but we can only pick one only one so uh, we're going to send Nancy uh, a couple of passes to play golf uh, at uh, Smuggler's Glen. And um, I hope she enjoys that once golf reopens and, and uh, she gets to book a tee time down there. Now, if you're interested in getting in on the favorite hole contest, uh, you know how to do it. Send your submissions to jbotter at flagstick.com and uh, send along the, the whole, the course, the whole number and the yardage if you have it, but I can look that up in a picture if you have uh, a picture that you've taken or that you'd like um, to submit with it. And we'll, uh, we'll post that up on the YouTube uh, feed when we, uh, when we post it. So um, thanks for that, Nancy. Well, uh, as always, that's uh, 
time in the show once again when I've got to say goodbye. Uh, that is uh, that is it for me for this week. Uh, thanks to Steve Martineau from the Prescott Golf Club for spending some time with us and, and letting us get to know him a little bit more and, and his story and his journey. Uh, thanks to Jake Kane this week for, for our lesson. And uh, thanks uh, to our sponsor, TaylorMade Golf. Uh, don't forget to, uh, to check out all of the TaylorMade lineup, including the, uh, the all-new Sim 2 family of uh, golf clubs at taylormadegolf.ca. And while you're at it, don't forget to visit us at flagstick.com. You can check out every single episode of the podcast, uh, and you can also check out every single episode of T-Talk Podcast, which is done by my good friend and uh, an associate publisher of Flagstick Golf Magazine, Scott McLeod, and his co-host, Stefan Tiedorf. Um, you can check that out at flagstick.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also check us out on YouTube. We do encourage that. We love to get new subscribers to the channel. Um, as I've said before, there's a lot of things we do visually with the YouTube channel that we obviously cannot do with the audio feed. So check us out on YouTube and uh, subscribe to the channel. Click the notification bell to make sure that you don't miss a single episode when we drop it. Um, well, let's make sure we get the right message out there. Uh, let's do it respectfully. Uh, keep, the, keep the messages respectful and um, say what you want to say. Uh, get your point across. And hopefully at some point or another, maybe before the, uh, the June 2nd deadline, we're out there playing golf. If not, then let's just be patient. Let's keep the right messaging out there. And uh, we'll get golfing. And it'll happen sooner than you think. So... Uh, this has been the 613 Golfer Podcast presented by TaylorMade Golf. And I have been your host, as always, Jeff Botter, publisher of Flagstick Golf Magazine. Have a great week, everyone. And always remember, go for the stick.